So this morning, I want to start with a quote from our companion guide to the Surangama Sutra. <clears throat> that is not your mind, which I have found really great and very supportive. He says, Robert Rosenbaum, I learned an important rule of thumb for decision-making when I was in college and took a yoga class taught by a genial dean of students, Henry Littlefield. A broad-shouldered former Marine a history teacher, completely bald, he looked a lot like Mr. Clean. After a year or so of studying with him, I saw an advertisement for a workshop by an Indian yoga teacher. I was tempted to, to, to enroll, but it was expensive and my cash resources were tight. I asked Mr. Littlefield whether he knew the yoga teacher and thought it would be worth spending my money. I never forgot his reply. I don't know that teacher, he said, so I can't comment on what he offers. But I do know that if you take his workshop wondering whether it's worth it, then it won't be. If we do something wondering whether it's worth it, it likely won't be. That's my experience as well. If I come with a predetermined idea, generally doesn't work out well. <clears throat> Some of you who are in the precepts class heard me on Monday give a talk in which I shared something similar to this where I had heard Norman say in the Everyday Zen Wednesday evening class, that we weren't practicing to save the world. And I thought, yeah, we are. Yeah, that's why I do this. I like the wonderful pithy statement on the Everyday Zen website that says, changing and being changed by the world. So I wrote him and told him. I, I tried to say, maybe I didn't understand it correctly. And he wrote back and said, yeah, maybe you didn't. I didn't love that response either. So I wrote him again. And he wrote back wonderful one line. said, uh, maybe a good idea to challenge our cherished ideas and assumptions. Yes, for me, maybe a very good idea. For me, if I think that something is maybe not worth it, Maybe I shouldn't do it. Or maybe I should open to it and see what's really there. Not to see my idea of what's there. So one of the most difficult aspects of this practice is wrapping our minds around how every moment is both a deception and also a true gateway to awakening. To see that our suffering arises from craving. Craving arises when we get caught in ideas, forms, feelings, perceptions, formations, and consciousness. 
they all pile up to become constituents of our experience. And to confuse these signs with what they point to is to confuse the famous Zen story, the finger pointing at the moon with the moon itself. Are we willing to explore the precariousness of our perceptions, our opinions, our long-held cherished beliefs? What's true and false, right and wrong? Our steadfast believing in you are different and separate from me. I am different, separate from you. I often say terminally. So when Robert Rosenbaum introduces the Surangama Sutra with an enlightened mind, a meld of what they say is Taoist wisdom and ancient Chinese original teachings, reminding us that we really swim through the sights and sounds, tastes, touches, and thoughts that constitute our experience. We mustn't mistake them for the ocean itself. The ocean is our Buddha nature, our Buddha mind. We become so convinced by our own importance and our own sense impressions that we mistake them for the true mind. We forget the ocean of Buddha mind. It can be difficult to understand this, our discriminating, conceptualizing mind, which we need. We need to make decisions in that way throughout the day. But it's not the reality. It's really strategy to move from here to there to here to there. Mind that functions, though, via comparisons and judgments by analyzing these little bits and pieces in the attempt to make our case. Hmm. The expert's mind narrowing in few possibilities rather than the beginner's spacious mind of all possibilities. So in this opening scene, remember, in this story, Sarangama Sutra, it's an incident between Buddha's cousin and chief disciple, his lifelong attendant, Ananda, who's about to take off his Buddhist robes to make love to a courtesan who has just seduced him. Ananda's uh, a monastic, and he couldn't, and shouldn't go through with this. But apparently he can't help himself. But not to worry, the Buddha to the rescue. The clairvoyance of the Buddha sees this impending catastrophe and handles it with his Buddha magic by instantaneously whisking Ananda away. And for much of the rest of the sutra, explaining to him that desire is a conceptual error. There's nothing to desire. Ananda's apparent moral lapse is based on a deeply ingrained misunderstanding. 
And Robert Rosenbaum says, this is endemic in all humans. Misunderstanding is thinking we understand something called separate mind, our mind. And especially, we insist that it is ours. Our most common delusion. If Ananda, an esteemed devotee of the Buddha, was easily overwhelmed in his circumstances, how much more do we need the capacity to pause and seek clarity in our own lives? In our current everyday lives, something or someone is trying to seduce our attention all the time. Seducing us via the news, social media, advertising all kinds, catastrophic thinking, and what Rosenbaum calls clickbait. We need to be careful to limit our exposure to what we're capable of handling. This is really true for me. I can get overwhelmed by all those impulses to react, respond right away, get through the email list. He uses the example of that it's not a good idea for a recovering alcoholic to go into a bar, just as it's not a great idea for someone whose Buddhist practice is not yet fully matured to misuse sex. But it takes humility to acknowledge the frailties of our self control I get seduced on a regular basis. Sale prices for sneakers at Zappos. Sheets at Bed Bath & Beyond going out of business how many sets can I have? The new Hulu or HBO series, which I unsubscribed from. And now, oh my gosh, do I want to subscribe again? And the worst seduction I find is really new Dharma offerings and workshops online that I sign up for. And I either can't attend because of a scheduling conflict ultimately, or I just completely lose track of it all together. And a month later, I think, what happened to that? How about you? We need to support our efforts by relying not just on our own personal willpower, which is really limited at best for most of us, but by building resilient structures, groups, gatherings, conversations in our communities, in our homes, and in our practice methods. And one way of building that resilience is to introduce what systems theorists call redundancies or multiple ways of realizing same role. One of our redundancies is that we 
come to practice, they come to sit, come to chant. We read the sutras. But if we rely on only one way to practice or one way of anything, it generally closes down the possibilities. So the redundancy is something to not get stuck in, but it's something that offers us a chance to find refuge so that we can open to our big mind, our mind that usually gets eclipsed by detail and schedule and factors. If you only practice meditation on the breath, says Rosenbaum, you'll have difficulties with meditating when you have pneumonia or asthma or panic attack. At such times, it helps to have some experience with meditating on posture, on a mantra, or a koan. He says, for that matter, Meditate on a toothbrush to fall back. We see what he's saying. We see that there are all these possibilities open to us, not to close down on our cherished ideas. When we first start to start to practice, we harbor idealism fantasies about practice, about meditation in particular, that will protect us against greed, hate, and delusion. At some point, we really begin to understand that meditation cannot exist by itself. Meditation and practice express in relationship with all beings all beings with bodies and minds, with gifts and flaws, with grief and mystery. So realization of practice is really about making the practice real, allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. Allowing ourselves the chance to not make up our mind about whether something's worth it or not before we actually experience it. Turning and being turned by it. Facing a difficult phone call, for example, or meeting someone offers us a real opportunity to share our real intention, not our fear, not our trepidation. Only, we can say we feel fearful. That always helps, actually. But then we find our way to a new way, to the heart of the way, as Dogen Sutra Beijing was. We are studying. Part of the way. We can greet each other. We can greet this person 
or having a difficult phone call or meeting with as a guest. As someone we want to welcome, we're cultivating a new kind of heart, an old kind of heart, a heart that is forgiving, a heart that is open. In the book, Rosenbaum. Oh, sorry. I threw the book away. Yeah, I was done with it, but I'm not quite done with it. Almost. He says, better to throw ourselves into whatever we do completely with no holding back. Perhaps this is what Dogen means in his meditation instructions when he tells us to drop body and mind, to enter the gate of ease, to engage fully in all our activities, irrespective of whether or not they work out the way we want them to. Better when we love, we love wholeheartedly. Better, so much better. We love that it's not conditional. And we don't say, if you act like this, then I'll love you. And we don't parse our love out in little bits and pieces, measuring potential gains and losses. So I want to ask us. I'll read you a statement. And then Shuki's going to put us into breakout groups and you'll see the statement in the group so that you can reflect on it. Tell me, do you think it's real? You find this to be true in your life. And what or who do you love wholeheartedly? Well, you can give up all your cherished, measured thoughts and evaluations. Here's the statement. Measuring potential gains and losses is a good way to get mixed up in the bogs of our desires. Our attempts to gain clarity by making finer and finer discriminations and evaluations ultimately confuse us. <clears throat> Looking ahead fills us with fears and hopes. Looking back fills us with regrets and congratulations. Better, I think, to throw ourselves into whatever we do completely, no holding back. Better to engage fully in all our activities irrespective of whether or not they work out the way we want them to. Better when we love to love with a whole heart. So the questions again will be posed also for you so you don't forget. Do you find this statement to be true in your life? 
what? Oh, you are wholehearted.